We've entitled this series, A Different Jesus. This message specifically I've entitled, A Different Love. A Different Love. We're in Luke chapter 7. We've entitled this series, A Different Jesus, because something that I believe happens is many people know who Jesus is. Jesus is a worldwide figure, is a person that's recognizable around the world, even in the most remote of places, uh, you show them an image of Jesus and they will recognize him. What most people do is when they come to have a relationship with Jesus or they learn about Jesus, is they appropriate Jesus to fit their life. And many of us come to define our own personal Jesus. It reminds me of that 1990s Depeche Mode song, Your Own Personal Jesus. That song has nothing to do with the biblical Jesus, by the way. But it is conveying a message that everybody wants something that they could hold on to. Someone who hears your prayers, someone who knows that you're there. Your own personal Jesus. And what people come to do is they become to redefine Jesus and they take the biblical Jesus and they shape him to their life and they form a different Jesus. They grab a little bit of all the different parts of who Jesus is, the parts that they agree with. And if you just look at the different images of Jesus that have been used, they have a couple pictures here of that. People love the friendly Jesus. People love the stoic, kind of tough-looking Jesus. Other people prefer the reigning kind of Jesus. Some people want the humble servant Jesus. Some people want the leader of Jesus. Some want that nationalistic, politically motivated Jesus. Some people want the socially minded Jesus. Maybe you prefer the blonde Jesus or the dark-skinned Jesus or the curly-haired Jesus or maybe the movie Jesus, whatever movie Jesus you prefer. Maybe you like the homeboy Jesus. The amusement park Jesus. The political Jesus. But people have co-opted, they've appropriated Jesus to mean what they want Him to mean, and they take the Jesus of the Gospel completely out of the picture, they redefine who Jesus is, and it becomes a different Jesus. And the whole point of this series is to take us back to the biblical Jesus. Who is the Jesus of the Bible? I think one of the most glaring examples of how people make Jesus and who they want Him to be happened by accident. A few years ago, in a small hamlet in Spain, the small town, Borgia, Spain, there was an 82-year-old widow who, who had uh, painting and art as a hobby. In the local church, there was a fresco there that had been painted about 100 years ago. I have a picture of it. Um, it had kind of began to deteriorate and, and the, the image, the paint started to scrape off and this bless her heart, this beautiful 82-year-old widow thought in a gesture of goodwill that she would go and she would touch up and refresh this painting of Jesus. Bless her heart. She tried. Let's show what she did to the picture. That's a different Jesus. But that's what people do, right? They take Jesus, whatever image of Jesus that you want to have, whatever your idea of Jesus is, and you make them into your own. And, and, and that's, that's a different Jesus. 
So we want to, over the next three weeks, take you to the biblical Jesus and, and, and show you who Jesus is. The true Jesus. Not the Jesus that you've defined that always agrees with you, that approves of everything you do in your life, doesn't question you, doesn't challenge you. Not G- that Jesus. That's a different Jesus. We're, we're talking here about the real Jesus. And in Luke 7, we see the heart of Jesus the heart of a Jesus who loves differently, who has a different kind of love. And the big idea for this message today is that in Jesus, we find a different kind of love. And His love is displayed to you through His forgiveness. His love teaches us how to view and how to forgive others as well. It's a different kind of love. Luke 7, it, it, chap, uh, verses 36 through 50, is one of my favorite passages of Scripture to preach through. I've preached through this uh, passage, uh, I don't know how many times, but every time you go through this passage, it seems like something new comes out of it. Like something else gets your attention. And to set the scene here, in Luke 7, Jesus had become wildly uh, popular. Wherever Jesus went, crowds of people followed him. I imagine sometimes what it was like to be there amongst the crowds as people heard about this prophet, about this teacher, about this rabbi who was teaching these amazing things. And people were being drawn out of their homes. And people were being drawn out of their workplaces and coming from long distances just to catch a glimpse, right? People were climbing trees. People were barreling through other people just to touch him. This guy was healing. This guy was teaching. This guy had become immensely popular. They wanted to see what the commotion was about. Jesus, right before this encounter in Luke 7, had taught something that was blowing the minds of people. He says this, he says, Come to me, all of you who are worried, right, weary, worn out, and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. That was a ground-shaking declaration that Jesus made. I could give you rest. He was proclaiming to those who were listening, I am the Son of God, the one who comes and lifts the burdens from you, the one who takes the weight off your shoulders. I am He. This had worried many people. The religious leaders were shook to their core. Who was this man who had this massive following, who was attracting people, who was healing people, who was teaching against their ideals of what religion should be? I mean, the priests and the Pharisees, they, they were worried, but these priests and Pharisees also had up-close access. Amongst these Pharisees was this man named Simon. Simon was a respected leader. He had power. He had clout. He didn't need to stand in line to get to Jesus. He could go to the front and speak directly to him. And what Simon does, because he wants to question Jesus, he kind of wants to pick his brain, he wants to vet him, he invites him to dinner at his house. It's a dinner party. And dinner parties in this time were not like dinner parties are today. Usually these, these feasts were in an outdoor place, like a courtyard type setting. Uh, people would... would would sit on cushions. There were low tables, maybe just a couple feet off the ground. People would kind of sit laying down, kind of halfway laying down, halfway sitting up. And these were intimate moments where people would break bread, they'd have conversation, and they were kind of open to the public. 
the public could come and hang out and hear the conversations, but they were not allowed to eat. So stay on the sidelines if you want to come. Only those invited guests and people who were very important VIPs could come have a seat at the table. Other common people could kind of pass through, you know, the nosy neighbor types. Oh, is, hey, is that the Jesus? Oh, yeah. Hey, let's see. You know, let's, let's, let's get the scoop. So nosy neighbor types and common people stayed on the sidelines. VIPs had a seat at the table. There were servers. These kind of events were high pressure for the host. Things needed to be perfect. Things needed to be on point. The food needed to be good. Rituals needed to be done. When you were going to someone's house for dinner, as soon as you walked in the door, you should have been greeted by a, with a kiss on the cheek. They, if, if your host was really gracious, they would have washed your feet. And if they were extra, extra gracious, they would have gotten some anointing oil, this precious oil, and they would have put a little bit on your head because now you're, you're clean, your feet are clean to eat, you're welcomed with a kiss, you're, you're, you're embraced, and they anointed your head with oil and say, hey, I'm going to bless you. It was your host's way of saying, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you my best. I'm not going to hold nothing back, right? I'm not going to give you some little entomins that have been sitting in my, in, in my you know, pantry for three weeks uh, for, for dinner. I'm going to give you the best that I have. That's how dinners were. These were big occasions. And in the middle of this occasion, something absolutely astounding happens. And through this encounter with Jesus, we learn that Jesus has a different kind of love. A love that's not common to you and I unless we get it straight from Him. You cannot give the love of Christ unless you first receive the love of Christ. And what we see here is this woman giving the love of Christ to Jesus because she's first received it from Him. I wonder if she heard those words that He preached. Come to me. Come Come to me, right? The invitation of Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, hey, just, just, you know, I'll, I'll hear you from over here. Just stay away. No, he, he, he invites you here today, you watching at home. He, he invites you into his presence. He says, come to me. Jesus, open arms saying, I invite you in to me. Even if you're burdened, even if you're heavy laden. And me, I, Jesus, will give you, will give you rest. It's a beautiful invitation. I wonder if this woman heard that, received that, and this was her way of saying, Jesus, you asked me to come. I'm going to come to you. And I'm going to come and I'm going to lay everything down at your feet, Jesus. Because you love differently. Because this woman, typically, we'll find out, was not loved. This woman was not accepted. She was not approved of in society. But Jesus, because he loves differently, he's a different Jesus. He loves differently. He accepts, he embraces, and he forgives this woman. It's a beautiful account. And I want to share with you just a few ideas of of people who love like Jesus. Because the invitation to, to come to Jesus is not only to receive from Jesus, but it's to become more like him. We've just spent six weeks talking about that, right? How, how Jesus takes you into his life and then he forms you to become more like him. And part of us becoming more like him is we learn to love like him and we learn to forgive like him. 
So the first point I want to share with you today is that people who love differently, like Jesus, they never judge by the outward appearance of a person's looks, but by the inward intentions of a person's heart. This message, this narrative is all about contrasts and opposites. The inside, the outside. The outcast, the popular one. So people who love differently never judge by the outside appearance of a person's look. The outside, a a, a person who loves differently judges by the inward intentions of a person's heart. Let's get into this. Beginning in verse 36, Luke chapter 7. The Bible says this, One of the Pharisees, that Simon, asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and he sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, so she had heard Jesus is going to be there, the one who said, come to me, all of those of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, that Jesus is going to be there. She brought a beautiful alabaster jar, which was a ceramic jar, a ceremonial jar, something of beauty that held something precious, that had an expensive perfume inside of it. This woman was not invited. And this time, a religious person like Simon was not even allowed to talk to a woman in public. Her ID is not known. Apparently, she was an immoral woman, which leads us to believe, and many scholars agree, was she was probably a prostitute. She had a reputation. She had perfume with her which most women in that time would carry a small vial of perfume around their neck, so when they were going to have intimacy with their husband, they would break the vial, they would perfume themselves to enjoy that experience. But here's a woman who would use this perfume, not for her husband, but for her business deals. And she brought a jar of it, not a vial. Now something you've got to understand, this woman walking into this dinner party would have embarrassed Simon to the most extreme degree. Remember the pressure and the social norms of having this perfect dinner party and the outcasts and the normal people stay on the sidelines. Hear the boldness of this woman who heard Jesus was going to be there says, no, I'm going to do everything I can and everything I must to show this Jesus that I love Him. The boldness and the courageous faith of this woman to break all stereotypes, to break down all the walls, to kiss social norms goodbye and say, look, I don't care what people are going to say. I don't care what people are going to feel. If Jesus is there, I'm getting to him. Man, that's courageous, bold faith. To the outside observer, this was a broken woman, a sinful woman, A woman who was out of order, despised, rejected. On the inside, she had a heart to serve and love Jesus. And what moved her was the hope and the faith in the one she was seeking. To the world, this this interruption was something that was shameful. It was grotesque. It was appalling. The gall of this woman to interrupt this party and to approach the guest of honor? What is she thinking? 
to Jesus. This moment was beautiful. It was sublime. It was serene. It was one of his own coming to him. The contrast of the woman to Simon, this Simon was entitled. He was highly respected. He was ultra arrogant in his knowledge of the law, in his position, in his title. And this woman was a sinner. Rejected by most. Not all, because Jesus embraced her. But she was honest and she was humble. The contrast of these two characters. Now, not only does the woman interrupt the dinner, but what she does next is even more courageous and bold. Verse 38 It says, she knelt behind him at his feet. That's Jesus. And she begins weeping. Her tears fell on his feet. And then she wiped them off with her hair. She kept kissing his feet and putting the perfume that she had in the jar on them, on Jesus' feet. I want you to notice how verses 38 here, it's her and it's Jesus. Notice how many times it's, it's she, it's her. It's she, it's her. It's this woman. The focus is on this woman. The center of attention here is this woman and her actions of how she's loving Jesus. Her tears. Do you know people who could cry on the spot? You ever meet people like that? They're kind of manipulative, a little fake, phony. And when they need to, oh, they could cry on the spot, right? But you know when someone's fake crying and when someone's really, this, this is their heart, right? I mean, they get the whole, <gasps> the ugly cry, snot coming down. You're not, you don't care about your mascara. People who fake cry, they're, they're wiping their mascara and they don't want to mess up their makeup. Guys want to hide, you know, I'm too tough. I don't want, I'm going to just, just one tear, one tear. This woman is weeping. I mean, weeping profusely. The honesty of her heart the transparency, the vulnerability to say, I don't care who's watching because it's me and it's Jesus. I'm having this moment with him. The honesty of her heart, the humility of her heart that she's washing the feet of Jesus with her tears and this perfume and then the fact that she's using her hair to do it. This, was, this is a detail that you cannot miss. A woman in in this time wore her hair up at all times. Most of the time veiled. It was considered, you know, a little bit inappropriate to be in public showing your hair if you were a woman. Most women wore veils at this time. Now, if you were in the, the comfort of your home, you could take the veil off, but your hair would be up only mainly when you were going to be close with your husband would a woman let her hair down. A woman letting her hair down was a sign to say, I'm open and I'm available to you to experience this deep intimacy. And here this woman who, for her career, was in the business of letting her hair down for random strangers, for profit, now meets the prophet, Jesus Christ, the rescuer, savior, forgiver of her soul, And she lets her hair down in front of him, in public, in front of this dinner party, in front of a priest. 
this is almost like a, one of those jokes you hear, right, at the bar. You know, there's a, there's a prophet, there's a priest, and a prostitute, and they're all having lunch. I mean, it sounds like a joke story. The goal in the boldness of this woman, the vulnerability, the honesty, the humility to have this moment with Jesus. Now, one thing I love about this is that the Bible says that she begins to pour out this perfume. This perfume was expensive. It came with a cost. Who knows how many encounters she needed to have to to acquire this perfume. And not only did this perfume come with a cost, but this perfume symbolized her previous life. And here this woman is bringing this, this symbol of who she was and what she used to do, the old, broken, used, no worth version of herself. And she's saying, Jesus, I'm going to break this and I'm going to pour it all over your feet. And she didn't just pour a little bit and then take some home with her. She said, no, Jesus, here, it's all yours. And Jesus never once recoils. Jesus never once looks at her and says, oh, get back. Because a person who loves differently doesn't look at the outside appearance, but they look at the heart. And all Simon could see here was the sinful, broken, immoral, sinner woman interrupting and totally destroying his dinner party when Jesus saw his daughter coming to him saying, Jesus, I pour out everything to you in sacrifice and humility. I'm going to serve you and I'm going to love you and I don't care who's watching Jesus and I don't care what they say about me because I'm forgiven in you. The faith needed to, 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 to empty completely out. And this is, this is something that, that as people of God we need to wrestle with. Have you completely poured yourself out? Have you given Jesus everything? Because let me tell you, he's big enough to take it. Some people usually because of uh, a shame, embarrassment, guilt, we, we, we say, Jesus, I'm going to give you, you know, what I want to give you, but there's some things that, Jesus, you don't want none of that. I, trust me. Trust me, Jesus, you don't want this part of me. Jesus wants everything from you. He doesn't recoil. He doesn't say, ugh! You were on drugs? No, I don't want your addiction. I don't want your prostituting path. Ugh! Jesus never recoils, but he sits there and he receives what the woman gives out on to him because she's symbolizing, Jesus, I'm broken before you. And I'm pouring myself out completely her faith is demonstrated by her boldness to enter this place by the sacrifice of pouring this precious perfume out before jesus and the humility of heart to do this no matter who was watching and this thing is true the love of jesus hear me well the love of jesus always attracts the most broken of people the love of jesus always attracts the most broken, the most demon-possessed, the most disregarded, outcast, marginalized soul. That's the love of Jesus. Attracts them. Why? Because Jesus doesn't recoil at them. Simon was recoiling. Jesus was there, arms open, receiving this woman. Listen, I'm not sure what drew you here today. I'm not sure what drew you into watch online. 
We have many reasons for coming here. But ultimately, I believe every single one of us is here because we all want an encounter like this with Jesus. We all want to experience a moment like this with Jesus. All of us carries a jar. Some of you have different things in your jar. I would pray and I would hope, whether you're here in person or whether you're watching online, that you wouldn't leave this place without saying, Jesus, I give you everything that's in the jar. I'm pouring it all out. Because I know you don't look at me on the outside like people look at me. This is a different kind of love. You look at the intentions of my heart. Look at verse 39. When the Pharisees and Simon, who had invited Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, Simon mumbles underneath his breath, this guy, if this man were a prophet, he would know that this kind of woman, who, who, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Outside. Outside. Judging completely on the outside. Jesus looks at the inside. The second thing that this kind of love, people who love differently, people who love differently never work to accuse and condemn but strive to gently correct and restore. The key there is gently correct. Simon just accused her. She's a sinner. He's condemning her. There's no hope for that kind of woman. Compared to me, I'm a priest. A a person who loves like Jesus, the way Jesus loves, Jesus doesn't come to condemn. Jesus doesn't come to accuse. He comes to correct and he comes to restore. Gently. My vehicle has something called lane assist. Does anybody have that in their car? I think this is the coolest thing. It's got all these cameras. I mean, these cars are so high-tech nowadays. If I'm driving in a lane, and if I'm starting to drift out of the lane, you know what the car does? It nudges me back into the lane. I was like, this is super cool. So you know what I did? I decided to drive one day with my hands off the wheel. I'm going to test this thing. Let's see if this really works. You know what happened when I took my hands off the wheel? A little message came up on my screen. Keep your hands on the wheel. And I said, man, this thing is smart. There's a correction. Your, 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 your mission is not to look at people who are struggling, people who are, who are having a hard time, who have addictions, have real sin issues your job is not to go and accuse and condemn them your job is to gently nudge them back to the center of the lane to say hey bro hey sis how you doing first check up on them right hold them accountable how's your life doing how's your prayer life doing how's your walk doing haven't seen you in church hey miss you praying for you love you gently correct them back into the center of the lane because what does that do that restores their path and when someone has their hands completely off the wheel of their walk. I would pray that you would be a friend, that you would be a brother or a sister who says, hey, keep your hands on the wheel, brother. Let's keep moving forward. Simon doesn't have this in his heart. He just wants to accuse and he just wants to condemn. Simon exposes his heart because all he sees is the brokenness of this woman. And he's dealing with accusation. 
Jesus is here to correct this woman, to gently bring her back into the form that he's made her to be. And there's a difference there. We need to know this, that between correction and accusation, correction looks at the heart before the actions. Jesus knew this woman's actions. He knew her life. He wasn't looking at that. He was looking at her heart, the intentions of her heart. Simon was dealing with accusation. He was looking at her actions, her sin, her interruption, her messing up his dinner party. He wasn't looking at the heart. And here's the difference between the two. Correction is biblical. All during Scripture, we see people correcting other brothers and sisters. Hey, get it together. The exhortation, the encouragement that we all need. Correction is biblical. It gives help. It rebuilds. It restores. It lifts others up. And it brings hope. Accusation hinders people. Accusation destroys people. It separates people. It tears down and it condemns. There's a big difference between the two. This is why Paul, in his letter to the Philippians that we read you know, over the last few weeks, he says, I used to value all that religious stuff. All the performance-based stuff. I used to believe in that. Paul was a Pharisee too. But he says, I now consider that what? That's trash. That's garbage. Compared to knowing Jesus. And what Jesus is teaching Simon here is, is he's saying, look, you're valuing what, what the trash This woman is valuing knowing me. Look how she's loving me. How she's serving me, Simon, while you're sitting there accusing and condemning there. People who love differently, who love like Jesus, never work to accuse and condemn. They work to gently correct and to restore people. In verse 40, Jesus now teaches Simon, I love how Man, Jesus is just so cool. You know, Simon mumbled this under his breath. Jesus knew what he was thinking. It's kind of like your mom, right? When you think you say something that she can't hear and she's in another room. I heard that. It's like, man, this woman has like supersonic ears. It says, then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher. Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. Jesus teaches him this parable. He says, A man loaned money to two people. 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces of silver to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? He's saying, think about it. One owed a lot, one owed a little. They were both forgiven. Who would, who would love the person who forgave them more? Simon answered in a very flippant tone, I suppose, I guess, you know, the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. He's teaching him, look, in your, in your bookkeeping system, this woman's debt is a lot bigger than yours. As a matter of fact, Simon, you don't even know you have debt. At least she knows she's in debt. And she's in debt big time. Jesus is already setting Simon up for the bomb that he's about to drop on not only him, but all the nosy neighbors, remember them? Because this is not just a dinner party of three here. This is a big function here. The waiters may have stopped 
going on over here? Jesus is teaching, look, the amount of sin you have in your heart does not matter. All of us are in debt. All of us are spiritually bankrupt. It's an issue of awareness, of having a heart that's broken, that's contrite. And I love Jesus because Jesus here comes and he's, he's teaching that he levels the playing field. That in Jesus' economy, it doesn't matter your level of education, whether you're a dropout or whether you have a Ph.D., it doesn't matter if your bank account has eight zeros after it or it's nothing but zeros. In Jesus' economy, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your position is. It doesn't matter what title you have. It doesn't matter what people call you. In Jesus' economy, it's a level playing field. We're all sinners. We're all spiritually broke, and only He could save us. It doesn't matter your upbringing. There's no entitlements in the economy of Jesus. All of us are spiritually broke. And He's teaching Simon this lesson and saying, you like keeping score. When I came to erase the score. It's a different perspective. The woman was aware of her brokenness. She knows her sin. And she knew and she understood only Jesus could forgive her. And she comes and she receives this beautiful forgiveness that only Jesus could give. And Simon is so arrogant, so religious, so puffed up in his, in his pride that he doesn't even know that he's sinful. Simon is blind to the woman, he's blind to his sin, he's blind to Jesus, and he's oblivious. He doesn't understand that the one who is there can forgive him. All throughout Scripture, from the Old Testament into the New Testament, we learn that God is a God who forgives. Isaiah 66, I will bless those who have a humble and contrite heart. I will bless them. I will forgive them. Psalms 34, 18, it says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. A broken heart. A contrite heart. This woman's heart was broken, contrite before Jesus. Simon's heart was, was hardened and puffed up. Isaiah 55, 7 says, Let them turn to the Lord, that He may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to your God, for He will forgive generously. So Jesus schools Simon, verse 44. He then turned to the woman. Now Jesus is about to make this place go crazy. He turns to the woman. And he says, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. Remember that was one of the rituals? But she washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss. Remember that was one of the rituals? But from the first time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. She's not kissing my cheek. She's kissing my feet. Humility. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head. Remember the ritual? But she has anointed my feet with this rare perfume. Jesus turns to the one who invited him to his house. And it puts it back on him. 
this paradoxical moment where a priest is being compared to a prostitute only in the economy of Jesus. In the world system, you would never compare those two. They're about as extreme as you could be. But to a person who loves differently, you could teach a priest through the sacrifice, love, and humility of a prostitute. People who love differently never reject or excuse their brokenness, especially with self-righteousness. People who love differently don't reject the idea that they're broken. They don't excuse it, like Simon. But they embrace it and they accept it in humility, like the woman. It's people who love differently. People who love differently understand my value and my worth and who I am in the eyes of Christ cannot be defined how you describe me by the uh, measures that you put on my life, but it's in the one who's made me. So I receive my brokenness. I embrace my brokenness because I know there's someone who could heal me. People who are spiritually prideful and, and, and have a, a different kind of Jesus feel that they got to be so puffed up and reject their brokenness. The difference here is that this woman who washed Jesus' feet, who kissed his feet, who anointed him, between her and this man, Simon, who neglected Jesus, who missed the opportunity, who rejected this forgiveness, the difference is that she understood her brokenness. She received it, and she embraced it in humility. Where Simon excused it, I suppose, murmuring under his breath. Here's the truth. Forgiven people will always be driven. When you understand that you've been forgiven, and uh, I'm jumping a little bit ahead of myself, but when you understand you've been forgiven, you serve with gratitude. You worship in humility. And you give sacrificially. Jesus now, let's finish this up, he, 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 he takes it a step further. He's just put Simon in the same category as a prostitute. He's just put a priest and a prostitute together. Now Jesus says something even more bold. Verse 47, he turns to the woman and he says, I tell you, and that's important, it wasn't enough for the woman just to know. She needed to hear. She needed to hear. And maybe it's not enough for you here today to know, or those of you watching at home to know. You need to hear. You need to hear what the heart of Jesus, who loves differently, says to you. He says, your sins, and they're many. Keeps it real. Have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who has forgiven little shows only a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman again, he's letting her hear it. He had just told Simon what he was about to do. I'm sure his mind exploded. He turns to the woman and he says, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said to themselves, all the nosy neighbors, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? Who is this guy? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. People who love differently receive the forgiveness of Jesus. They receive it. They hear it. They internalize it. 
They accept it. They live it. And they allow it to activate them into faith-filled action. This woman was able to love on Jesus and serve Jesus. Why? Because she had received the forgiveness that Jesus had given her. And now Jesus says, go, your faith has has, uh, saved you. Go in peace. And I love that Jesus says there, she has shown me much love. That term, much love, just jumped out at me. I want you to think, how much have you been forgiven? Think of what God has forgiven you from. Man, don't tell anyone. But you know. How many of you have been forgiven of much? I've been forgiven of much. And what Jesus is saying here, the person who's forgiven of much should love him what? Much. Are you loving Jesus like this? Where you lay it all out before him. You give it to him. Right? And now are you taking this forgiveness that Jesus is giving you and are you offering it to others? See, because, oh, man, we, oh, yeah, Jesus, you've forgiven me much. I'm going to love you with everything I got. Yeah, Jesus, I love you so much. You've forgiven me so much. I'll wash your feet. Man, I'll wash your car, whatever, your chariot. I don't know what you're riding on, Jesus, but I'll, I'll, I'll do it for you because you've forgiven me much. Now, Jesus says, great, thank you. Now, go forgive the person who's hurt you. What? No, 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 I don't want, I don't want that part. People who love differently. Receive the forgiveness of Jesus, and that allows them to activate into faith-filled action where you now can go and forgive what you think is the unforgivable. Jesus taught this, Matthew 6, 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you also. Luke chapter 6, verse 37, forgive and you will be forgiven. Matthew 18, 22, Jesus said to them, I do not say for you seven times, but 70 times seven, right? When they asked them, how many times should I forgive somebody, Jesus? They've done me wrong a bunch of times. Is it once? Is it twice? Jesus says, hey, I'm not even telling you seven times, but 70 times seven. People who receive the forgiveness of Jesus are activated in faith to now go and make peace with others. This woman knew that she had been forgiven. Why did she know? Because Jesus spoke it to her. Jesus looks at her and he says, shame off of you. When culture, when society, when the world constantly wants to look at you and say, shame on you, Jesus comes into your situation, your circumstance, your brokenness, loves you differently, and he doesn't say shame on you. He says, no, shame off of you. We need more of that. We need to be people who go and share that good news with others. This is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus loves you differently. He doesn't look at your sin and brokenness and say, shame on you. He looks at your shame and your brokenness, and he takes it off of you. Remember, come to me, those who are worried with shame, those who are heavy laden with guilt, those who are burdened by embarrassment, and I will take those things off of you. And in faith, I will forgive you, and then you will go and live in peace and forgive others. Man, this story is so rich. Jesus loves 
differently. He saw this woman differently. He loved her differently. He didn't see a bad woman. He saw a broken woman. He didn't see a prostitute. He saw a daughter who needed to be loved and cleansed of her past. This woman loved Jesus differently because it was pure. It was motivated by humility. He knew Jesus was going to accept her and embrace her. So remember what God has taken you from. Has he forgiven you of much? You should love him just as much in return. Could we stand together?